wonderful ministry, and I think we can all feel God's presence this morning. The scripture this morning is uh, the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large, cr large crowd gathered, gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Would you please join me in prayer? Please open our eyes, ears, and hearts this morning as Paul delivers his message to us. Enable us to weave his message into our lives and our service. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Farming is, has been a special place, has, has had a special place in my life since I can remember. My grandfather was a farmer in Dixon, and, and I have very beautiful memories of what I believe now, in looking back, spending every weekend with him. I know that wasn't the case, but it sure does feel like that when I look back today, that, that I spent a great deal of time on the farm, and, and uh, all, of, all of the explorations and all of the, uh, oh, even some pain, all the joyful memories of that time, has, has etched, been etched in me, and, and it's, it's left me to have a special place for farmers. Our congregation, I believe, if I am correct, only has two active farming families in it, uh, many, many more who either come from a farming background or some who retired from, but, but only two active. And this is, this is um, I don't know, kind of sad for me, uh, knowing what's, what's happening to our, our agricultural world, the whole society that is called um, the the uh, the industry of ag, um, and yet and yet this uh, there's some lessons here that are very appropriate. The next five weeks, I'm getting a glass of water. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. These next five weeks are very very important. Five weeks as we find five principles from farming that we can apply to our lives. Uh, Grandpa died in 1998, and one of the gifts that I was given, along with a couple of real cool icons from his house, was my free reign of anything in the barn. Of course, the barn hadn't been used for a number of years, but in the barn was a stack of the steel fence posts. And so I took a truckload of steel fence posts. I didn't know what I was going to do with them. It took me a couple of years to figure out what to do with them. But in Plato Center, where, where I was serving, 
we had an acre of grass at the parsonage. So one spring, I got the wild idea that I would create a garden. And of course, I wasn't going to create a little garden because any, any dirt I exposed was grass I wouldn't have to mow. Yeah? <laughs> so we're talking 20 by 40 garden. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I put those fence posts in, and I got some, some fence to keep the, the rabbits out. And I even created a little door for myself. I ran a hose out and sprinkler so that I could just turn the hose on and sprinkle the garden. I wouldn't have to go out near it, and, and I could watch my garden grow. I planted 16 gajillion tomatoes. <clears throat> I actually think I had 19 tomato plants the second year because some grew up rogue. Uh, but turns out that that farming soil was so rich, uh, it, was, it was so rich that once my tomatoes began to grow, I had to go get rebar. Do you know what rebar is? It's what you use, it's in a roll, it's what you use when in concrete to keep it reinforced inside. I got rebar, uh, five foot rolls of it, and my tomato cages were made out of rebar because they were so big. My tomatoes were nine feet tall. No kidding. I, I kid a lot. This is real. They were nine feet tall. And the tomatoes that first year were the size of grapefruit. It was amazing what was going on in that soil, how rich it was. It was perfect soil. And, and I was able that first year to keep weeds out because I was out there <laughs> boasting my tomatoes every, every year. After that, I, I uh, also added cucumbers, the little cucumbers that you make pickles out of. And my, my uh, not-yet-sanctified personality with the pickles, uh, I created, I, I think I had 25 hills. All right? 25 hills of pickles. I had so many pickles growing. I had so many cucumbers growing that they were this big in the morning and ready to pick by the afternoon. <clears throat> so then I got my great-grandmother's pickle recipe out, the mustard seed pickles, and, and I started creating Pickles. I needed a name for my pickles, and my kids at that time called me Poppy. So I fashioned Poppy's Pickles, and I passed them out to everybody I knew. There's even a recipe for it in the church cookbook for Poppy's Pickles. I passed on my great-grandmother's recipe. Those are the kind that you grow in the big number 20 crock that's got a big old froth on top of it, you know, that if you look at it, you think something poison is in there. But you reach down inside, and you get something that's just a, a, a mouth-watering experience. Um, there is something very good, isn't there, about homegrown fruits and vegetables versus the stuff you buy in the store. We've all had this challenge with the tomatoes. You know, what they do with tomatoes is, is that they, they put them in the truck when they're green, and the truck has a sprayer in it that sprays nitrogen or something on them, and by the time they get here from Texas or Georgia, wherever they come, they're red. And then they put them on the shelves and they sell them as red tomatoes. But they're so much different, aren't they, than the ones that you pick out of the garden that you can eat and just juice and just runs all over you. That's a, that's a real tomato. This is the point of, or this is an illustration for the point of the next few weeks. What we're, we're trying to do is, is to show the difference between store-purchased faith and homegrown faith. The faith that we really dig into ourselves and, 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 and really, really explore the depth of God's grace. Um, there's so many metaphors in the Bible, aren't there, about, about 
gardening. God is a gardener. God's the ultimate gardener. Genesis 2, you know, in the story of creation of Adam and Eve, God is down in the dirt, on knees, playing in the dirt, making humanity. That's, that's our gardener, God, that wants to nurture us from, a, from an inside ourselves faith and nurturing us deep. Isaiah talked about planting a vineyard. And how, how we were, we were the, the branches and, and God is the vine. And, and we are grafted into uh, the, the life of faith. And Christ picked up on that later on in talking about us uh, being outside of the Jewish tradition, being grafted into the vine and, and a member of, of, of God's family because of that. This, the, the illustrations are, are all over the Bible. The one that Betty read, we've actually used already this year in, in, in worship. Uh, a few months ago, I planted some seeds out here. Do you remember we were talking about relationship? And I planted some lupin seeds. God bless the lupin. I planted a dozen seeds that morning when I was talking about this scripture. I put them over here on this windowsill. We're better to grow than in that beautiful window that has the sunshine coming right on it. I thought that'd be great. So I, I planted them and, and put them over there. I actually got some of them to grow. They, they grew to maybe two, three inches tall. I was excited about it. I was celebrating it. I took them home, and they died. They're gone. I'm starting again, John. We're going to start again in a few weeks to try to grow the stupid lupin again. Um, <laughs> it's going to be an ongoing thing here. So, so, uh, so Betty, reading the scripture, brought again, though, this, this understanding that the farmer went out to plant this seed. Who's the farmer? Bible study time. Who's the farmer? Okay, say God. God. You know the story about the children's message where the, the pastor sat down with the kids and he said, what's this little, what's, what's brown, has a furry tail and collects nuts for the winter? And the kids just stared at him. And he said, come on, I'll try it one more time. What's brown, gathers nuts, lives up in a tree, has a nest, gathers nuts for the winter, fuzzy tail. And, and no one answered. And finally, one, one little girl said, well, I know it's a squirrel, but I'll say Jesus. <laughs> the answer to every sermon is God, folks. Who's the farmer? Yes, I see how smart you got, just right there. And, and, and then now we got to look a little bit deeper, and this is going to take a little bit more work, and for some of you it might hurt a little bit to think this much. Are you with me still? Okay. Who's the soil? us, our human heart. And our human heart is either hard, it's shallow but rich, it's deep but weedy, or it's rich and broken and full of the nourishment and the nutrients of the spirit and ready to be used. We're one of those four. Hard, shallow but rich, deep but weedy, or just broken and tillable, uh, ready to be used. That's soil in Plato Center. Apparently, I didn't turn my phone on vibrate. Well, you didn't answer me. Well, I didn't answer you either. There was a reason for that. Let me just make sure that it's not God. It's not God. It's my wife. So, <clears throat> Okay. I better have another drink. The soil in Plato Center was so rich. Now get this, Ken, get this. I could go out in the springtime after the, the hardest of winters and with a shovel turn it over. It not hard at all. 
is broken, ready to use, just full of the nutrients. That's, that's the vision. Can we be uh, so full of the richness of the Spirit that God can just take the fork and stick it in and turn us and use us again to, to do amazing, beautiful things? Adam Hamilton says that Christianity is God's solution to a problem. Christianity is God's solution to a problem. And he goes further and says the problem has three points, three different, three different tiers to it. The first part of the problem is that we don't know how to trust. We struggle with trust. And, and as it relates to our Savior, we, we work in, in unison with this, at least from time to time. We ask ourselves, can I really trust you, Jesus? Can I really give myself over to you? That's a soil issue because the, the reality is we would rather be self-centered. We'd rather have that crust over that soil and be be self-centered. He also says there's another problem. There's a second tier to that trust problem, and, and that is that we struggle on a regular basis with what's the point of all of this? What's the point of life? Is this really what we're lined up to do? Is, is, is all the stuff that I'm involved with really what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this, is this what life is all about? And, and that can lead very easily to depression and despair, can it? Haven't you struggled? Haven't you spun your tires? Uh, like a tractor stuck in the mud. In a minute, I'm going to show you this awesome picture. And I got one more part of this tier. The third part of the tier is um, we all know we're going to die. We know that the end result is the same for each one of us, and it doesn't look so cool. And we, so, we, so, we, so we, we struggle to trust Christ. We struggle with what's the purpose of our life. While at the end, at the same time, we realize that no matter how we answer one and two, it's all over for us, and some day we're lying right up here. And, and he says, now, now look at this. What you're talking about here is this problem that, that God has found the solution to for us. We don't have to work for the solution. The solution has been given. Have you ever needed to get out of God's way? A lot of what's gone on in the church this week has been a lesson for, for many of us of getting out of God's way. God has a purpose and God has a plan and God wants to move. In fact, God is already moving. And when we embrace where God's moving, <clears throat> we, we get toiled up or uh, tilled up in the soil and we're, we're, we're awesome to be used for. Or with. When we don't, we become self-centered. We, real, we, we get focused more on the material gain of the here and now instead of what, what the point of God's uh, purpose in our life is, and, and we end up fearing death, which is basically the very gift that God has given for us to get out of this, <clears throat> this, this spinning cycle. So here's these beautiful pictures. Check this out. I hope you can see this. If you can, it's on the bulletin. I uh, printed it there because I figured the sun was going to be blasting in here, uh, getting that it's on the fall. This is a combine out in a field, and that's my friend Bruce, <clears throat> who uh, I became real good friends with. And actually, uh, he trusted me enough one summer to go on vacation for two weeks, and, and, and I got to work with his pigs and, and keep his pigs alive while he was on vacation. It was a really good relationship. Well, it, it grew over the years because of this very picture. This is the Gurky field. And the Gurky field has this little area in it where that combine gets stuck every year. And, and even this year, Candy got stuck yesterday. This year, they're eight and a half inches behind in rain, and he got stuck picking beans. 
combining beans. Now, how, how does that happen? I don't know. It must be a life spring there. Um, but but this, this is an image uh, for you and me. And, and look at the one on your bulletin. If you can't see those rear tires buried down in there, that, that this is a real image for you and me and our faith, that there are moments, if not days, if not years, where we're stuck, where we don't move. We don't, we don't pray. We don't read that Bible. We don't, we don't build ourselves into Christian community. We allow all these other things to go on in our lives to get in the way, while at the same time we still struggle with this great problem of trust, of wondering what's the purpose of it all, and, and being depressed because we're all going to go the same way someday, and, and even running from it. My own personal testimony to this is, is one that, as I can reflect back, the times when I was in the most pain, the times when I was the most restless, were times when I tried to rely on myself and my own credibility or my own credential to, to, to get me through my life. And at the same time, I was stuck. It happened in education. I thought the more I learned, the better pastor I would be. And so I gained a diploma after diploma, education after continuing education to learn something of which I am gleaning. I'm gleaning from what I learned, but it wasn't the purpose, and it wasn't the point of my life. I also thought that if I had the best family, you know, if I had a family that people could be proud of, then maybe, maybe I would be uh, looked upon as a greater person. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that sick? You know, that didn't last very long because some, some very precious people in my life helped me out of that. The greatest, the greatest place of being stuck for me was, was when I got the idea and then the opportunity to build a church. How, how much greater could it be for a pastor upon retirement to go to a place and say, that was not there when I walked by? Hmm? How proud could that moment be? And I spent a lot of time and energy in that pride, and that got me stuck. And, and came to me that to find it, and I hope I can stay here, and I trust you all with Christ to keep me here, that the greatest place, the greatest place of ministry and mission, the place where the soil is tilled fully and there's no mud, is the place of serving God's people, letting Jesus serve through us. Amen? Amen. Does the farmer ever control the crop? Think about it. Does the farmer ever control the crop? A lot of trust involved, isn't there? A lot of, lot of trust, a lot of faith. What does the farmer control? The soil. The farmer breaks the soil up in the spring, fertilizes the soil, nourishes as much as he or she can that ground, and then plants the seed and then walks away in trust. And you know that's the exact same methodology that God uses with you and me. God doesn't control us. There are times when God breaks us. There are times when God nourishes us. But there's a trust that is reciprocal. It goes both ways. We trust Christ, and Christ trusts us to be his hands and his feet. And, and I hear Jesus saying, in fact, this is the solution, God's solution to the problem. It's surrender. The word is surrender. It's, it's turning 
ourselves over, taking, getting rid of that pride and that selfishness, and, and hearing Jesus say, I have already borne their burden. I will continue to bear their burden. I want them <clears throat> to trust me, so I will die for them. I want them to understand my purpose for their life, so I will show them a greater vision than they could ever achieve on their own. I want them to have a complete and full eternity with me so I will make it happen. I will make it possible and I will show the path. <clears throat> Here's my role in this whole thing. Next picture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bruce would call me up and he'd say, uh, how much time you got? What are you doing? And I'd say, uh, where, are you, where are you? He'd say, Gurkies. I said, I'll be right over. And I would go to his farm and I would jump into JD8640. That one turns in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's, got, it's got enough power to move this building. And I'd get in that and motor on down the road. And this is the one that you get mad at because the wheels stick out far enough that you got to take up the road. You know, so I'd drive down the road and knock the parishioners out of the way. <laughs> I'm coming through. I don't care what's going on in the office. I'm in the tractor. Never pass up an opportunity to drive a tractor. Never. <laughs> Never. <clears throat> so I hooked this bad boy up to that combine from behind and, and uh, give her a little gas. Didn't even have to put it in the second. Give her a little gas. Pop! Boom! That combine pops right up. Now, how much more power does God have than the, than the 8640? How much can we rely on God to pull us out of the mud? How about all the way? Say something like all the way. All the way. Yeah, <clears throat> that's right. <clears throat> Ken, I'm coming over tomorrow. <clears throat> Your tractor's green? They are green. <laughs> the issue today, as we begin this series, and, and the, before the issue, the commitment that, that I, I like to make is, I'd, I'd love it if you heard all five of these. I'd love it if you could, you could connect all five of these together because they're commas. The end of this is a comma to the next one. And they work together. The illustrations are phenomenal. Uh, I believe God wanted all of us to be farmers. You know, The illustrations are phenomenal, what goes on, in the, in the, on the farm compared to what goes on in our faith. The issue for today is trust and surrender. It's trust and surrender. That's, that's, that's really what, what today is about. Um, can, you, can you work with yourself this week when the issues that you may have to give your trust over to Christ, to invite Jesus to lead your life? There's, there's a song that the 10 o'clock crowd has been singing for a few weeks, and they're going to sing it again today. It's called, I Will Follow You. And what it says is, where you go, I go. Where you serve, I serve. Where you, where you, where you live, I'll live. I will follow you. And, and, and from that, you know, I, I, um, I have created a little prayer. And I would like to close with that prayer. And then Kathy's going to segue into her pastoral prayer for the day. I'm going to read it slowly. And if you need to, you're invited to read it along with me or to say it along with me uh, to yourself, really to God. Jesus, I need you to lead me. Jesus, I have needs, I have desires, and I have circumstances 
that try to control me every day. They wear me down. They disturb me. And they delete the quality of my life. You're my savior. You died for me. I want to live again fully by having you live again fully in me. So where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I will follow. Amen. to help us all know that the symbol of green is the symbol of growth. Let us uh, pray together the pastoral prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much that we are here together worshiping you, inspired by beautiful music, about thinking about Paul's words, and thinking about how wonderful you are. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Help us to surrender to you in times of trouble, in times of joy, and in times of sheer busyness. We want to be closer to you. Lord, we trust you to take care of our concerns. The family of Police Sergeant Jeremy Kobler, whose funeral is tomorrow. He leaves behind two-year-old twins. Our friend Connie Lynch was just diagnosed with cancer and starts treatment tomorrow. And many of us have our private struggles and painful situations that, ha that are laying heavily on our hearts, and we lift those up to you as well. Lord, your blessings cause us great delight. We trust you that you want good things for us, so we celebrate and praise you with our joys the birthdays of Pastor Paul, Ray Hill, and Ruth Eckes, and a great homecoming celebration for James McGrew yesterday. We marvel at the gift of your son, and we say the words that he taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat>